Greetings to everyone around the world. We're glad you could join us. Let's get started in Acts chapter 18 in this episode. We're going to get started with verse 1. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. After some time, Paul left to Corinth, which was about 50 miles away. While Athens was known for its education and culture, Corinth was known for its commerce and richness. Uh, within Corinth's realm were two major seaports, Lacaum and Centria. It was a bottleneck for sea trade going into land and land trade going into the sea. It was destroyed by the Romans about 146 BC and it was rebuilt a century later, 46 BC. Because of its strategic location, it became a Roman colony and a capital of the province of Achaia. Now, it was the center of worship for the goddess named Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and so this worship encouraged immorality. Verses 2 through 4. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working. For by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So we see in Corinth, Paul met Aquila and his wife Priscilla. They had moved to Corinth because of an edict by Claudius in 49 or 50 AD to remove all the Jews from Rome, probably because of the constant riots that were made by the Jewish people. Aquila and Priscilla would be of much help to Paul in the coming years, including risking their lives, and see that in Romans 16, 3 and 4. Um, they hosted a church in their home in Ephesus in Acts 18, verses 18 through 28, and more. They were in the same trade as Paul. They were all tent makers, and so he stayed with them while in Corinth to work for his own expenses. This was one way that Paul separated himself from the religious people. He worked for a living. All Jewish boys were expected to learn a trade, no matter the profession they chose. While he was in Corinth, he followed the, his pattern of beginning his teaching work in the synagogues, trying to persuade Jews and Gentiles alike. Verses 5 and 6. But when Saul, I'm sorry, <laughs> but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul began dedicating himself completely to ministry. This could easily mean that Silas and Timothy brought financial aid to Paul from Macedonia. Paul decided, dedicated, himself to the study of God's word and preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, or the Christ, to the Jews. But when they refused to listen, he shook his garments. And this was a synonymous action to the shaking the dust off their feet. It was basically meant that the messengers had done their part and the people's rejection of the truth was on their heads. Uh, this act ties together with what Paul actually said. Uh, he was clear from guilt because he had spoken the truth. They had rejected it, and so they would be responsible for paying the consequences of rejecting Jesus. Verses 7 and 8. 
Then he left there and went to a house of a man named Titus, Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to a synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. After Paul left the synagogue, he found a convenient location to start preaching the gospel, the house of a man named Titus Justus. His house was next door to the synagogue. He was probably a Gentile, since he is called a worshiper of God. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, also came to believe in the truth, together with his household and many other Corinthians. And the Lord said to Paul, this is verses 9 through 11, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. God came to Paul in a vision and told him to stay in Corinth. No one would attack him, and there were still many people in the city that would come to him, to God. God had chosen some to come to him. We must choose to be saved, and the saved must choose to give the truth to others. Paul settled down in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching the word of God to them. Verses 12 to 15. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, It would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. Gallio, a Roman proconsul and the governor of Achaia, was sought after by the Jews. His words had the power to create law in the Roman government. They laid Paul before Gallio, saying that Paul was leading others to another god and to contradict the law. Now, Rome did not accept new religions that weren't approved. Judaism was accepted and established. These Jews were basically saying that what Paul was doing was creating a cult, not to be associated with the already established Judaism. Now, before Paul could make a defense for himself, Gallio spoke to the Jewish people. He basically said, if it were a huge crime, okay, he would judge on it. But since it was a religion that was very similar to the Jewish ones, they needed to judge it themselves. His saying this basically legalized Christianity in the Roman law. He said no crime had been committed. Verses 16 and 17. And he drove them away from the judgment seat, and they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Gallio drove the Jewish people away. After this, we see some people beat on the leader of the synagogue. Some believe this was a demonstration of anti-Semitism, or anti-Jew, where some of the Corinthians beat the new synagogue leader, Sosthenes, in front of the judgment seat. Others believe the Jews themselves beat up Sosthenes for leading a bad trial, which would be considered a great betrayal. This Sosthenes may very well be the converted person that we see later on, uh, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. 
and this would have been two synagogue leaders in the same city. In either case, Gallio did not do anything because he did not want to involve himself with the religious matters. Now this again shows that Christianity is not a threat to the state. Christians are to be ruled by the state they live in, so long as the Bible is not contradicted or ruled against. If it is so, the Christian is to obey the Bible over the word of the government. Of the government. This also needs to seep in Christianity is, not, is a country that's far superior. God is father to all his own, which includes the whole world, basically. Verse 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. So Paul stayed in Corinth longer, but eventually he did leave to Syria, and he took Aquila and Priscilla with him. The word mentions that Paul cut his hair in Centria because of a vow. We don't know what this vow is. It could have been so many things that it's not even worth the speculation. We just know that it was done. The only speculation worth mentioning is that it has something to do with a temporary Nazarite vow. And we can read about that in, no, in Numbers 6. Verses 19 to 21. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again, if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. The group came to Ephesus, and there Paul went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. Apparently, Paul met little resistance and was asked to stay for a longer period of time. He said he needed to go, but if God wanted him to return, he would. While he knew he needed to leave, he also knew God was in control and could bring him back to Ephesus. Some believe he was trying to make a Jewish feast. We honestly don't know the hurry. Verse 22. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After landing in Caesarea, Paul went to Jerusalem. Uh, went up and to the church is enough of an indication that Paul went to Jerusalem. And then he went to Antioch to report to the home church everything that had happened. Um, everything that had happened on the, this particular journey. On his second missionary journey, Paul was away for about three years, and he traveled about 2,500 miles. He most probably wrote First and Second Thessalonians on this journey as well. Why is this important? Are you constantly at work for God? Or does someone need to push you or guilt you into it? Are you gladly living for God? Paul was passionate about the work of God. Are you serving because you must, or do you desire to honor the God that saved you? Verse 23. And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul started up again. He left through Galatia and Phrygia, visiting the churches and brothers he had already established. Luke jumps right into the next portion of Paul's life, which is the third missionary journey. Verses 24 to 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, 
an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching, accurately, the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here's an event that happened while Paul was away, finishing the second missionary journey and beginning his third. Our focus returns to the city of Ephesus, which had about 300,000 inhabitants. It was the capital of the Roman province and its center commercial city. They were, in wealth, <laughs> they were wealthy in trade because of their port, and it contained the Temple of Diana, which was a wonder to behold. The temple was enormous and was dedicated to a fertility goddess, Artemis, or Diana. Cultic prostitution was a huge part of the worship, which means that there were hundreds of priestesses, quote-unquote, available for, quote-unquote, worship. We hear of a Jew named Apollos. This man was born in Alexandria, or northern Africa, and he was eloquent. This made sense, as Alexandria was another center for education and philosophy. It was the second most important city in the Roman Empire. He came to Ephesus, and there he began to teach. The word shows us he was a good teacher, but his teaching was incomplete. He was fervent and strong in the Old Testament scriptures, but his teaching only went up to John the Baptist. John the Baptist taught that a Messiah was close, but Apollos missed the arrival. The Messiah's time on earth, the beginning of the church. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him teaching, they took him aside and taught him the rest of the story. It wasn't a public embarrassment. Apollos had the right idea. He just had not heard the rest of the story. Okay, so how does that apply to us? It's important to note Priscilla's name was placed before Aquila here. Most of the scripture referring to the couple that we have seen so far invert their names. This doesn't necessarily mean that Priscilla was the head of the home and leading studies with the men. It can actually mean several other things, like perhaps she had a higher descent or, or class than Aquila, or perhaps she was more intelligent in spiritual matters than Aquila, perhaps even more educated or um, more dedicated. We don't really know. But we do know that even if she taught Apollos, it was in private with the aid of her husband. So this can't be used as a proof text for women preachers. Verses 27 to 28. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. When his training was done, he was just as excited. He wanted to go to Achaia, possibly Corinth, and teach there as well. So the brethren of the church encouraged him and wrote the other brethren in that city to welcome him. Apollos greatly helped the brethren there and refuted the Jews in public, not by his words, but by showing all people that Jesus was the Christ through the scriptures. He used God's very word to demonstrate the truth of Jesus' messiahship. He became popular, and even had his own group, so to speak, of followers, which I am sure was not his intention, but we still see it happen in 1 Corinthians 1.12. This is the end of the chapter. We will speak to you next time.